1: My question for you is, how can I work with my Sparkotype profile to authentically show up in the world as a new Dharma coach and further build my business?
2: So what do you do when the thing that seems to come hardest for you is also the thing you feel you need to do in order to succeed at your job? Well, that is the question posted by today's listener, Casey. She feels like she needs to center her inner performer to reach larger audiences outside of her community in order to further build credibility and trustworthiness beyond her personal network. But that's also her anti-spark type or what we call the heaviest lift when it comes to work. And by the way, Casey's not alone as the performer is by far the most common anti-spark type in our research of more than 700,000 people now. And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is the founder of Parachute Executive Coaching, claimed executive coach, advisor to senior leaders for more than two decades, and the author of two great books, The Accidental Alpha Woman and The Complete Executive, Karen Wright. Quick note, you'll hear us mention something we call sparkotypes in conversation. Well, what is that? Turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive this is your Sparketype. When you discover yours, everything, your entire work life, even parts of your personal life and relationships, they begin to make more sense. And until we know ours, well, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your Sparketype for free at Sparkatype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now on to Casey's Storing Question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.
1: Hi, Jonathan. My name is Casey and my pronouns are she and her. This past year, I left my full time corporate life due to significant burnout and have since become certified as a Dharma or purpose coach. I then created and launched a passion project with coaching as a foundation for holistic personal development and career alignment. I also have a longer term vision and ambitions to grow beyond one on one coaching, including things like workshops and online courses a digital online community, media, and my own podcast. What's working well is my credibility and trustworthiness as a new coach and personal advisor within my own personal network. I suspect this is because my community not only has seen my professional success over time, but know me as a person beyond those achievements and somebody who values personal growth and well-being. Essentially, someone they can trust when it comes to this type of work. Prior to me launching my own business, I spent 17 years in the corporate world, mostly in marketing and internal consulting roles. I had always preferred to not be in the spotlight and most comfortable behind the scenes working on things like ideation, strategy, and operations rather than being the face of a larger initiative. In essence, I liked being the producer and director behind the camera versus the star of the show. While I believe there are many layers of the onion to be peeled here, including mindset blocks and fears around being seen, I'm finding that those same blocks are impacting my forward progression with building my coaching business. So bringing this back to the sparkotypes, when I found out my anti-sparkotype was performer, I totally felt seen and understood. I'm finding it difficult to bring out the performer in me to larger audiences outside of my inner community in order to further build credibility and trustworthiness beyond my personal network. As you teach in this body of work, I'm finding that my anti type of performer is a work that just doesn't come as natural to me and is the heaviest lift. In fact, doing performer work is a time suck and drains my energy. I simply don't enjoy doing it. But in this line of work, I feel like it's essential in order to build my business. My question for you is how can I work with my Sparkatype profile to authentically show up in the world as a new Dharma coach and further build my business? My Sparkotype profile includes Sage as my primary, Maker as my shadow, and Performer as my auntie. Thank you so much and look forward to hearing from you.
2: Uh, I love this. So number of different places that we can go. Um, And there are a couple of different things that she said, a bunch of different things that she said, I think.
0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee quite simply isn't enough. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
2: Super interesting.
0: Super interesting.
2: And I think there are parts of her journey that we probably both resonate with in different ways for different reasons. Before we dive into some of the more like granular topics, do you have a macro take or things that just like kind of hit you on, on a larger scheme?
0: She is very relatable in that I've heard this story from most of the coaches I know. So I find that a great coach is less inclined to want to be a performer because they are that behind the scenes person. They are that in service of and in support of. So her profile I think, and her, or her, at least her, the way she describes the issue is something I've definitely heard before many times.
2: Yeah, I would imagine that. It didn't surprise me at all. And it does surprise me that you would say that. I mean, you're so much more embedded in the coaching world than you have been for long enough to have just seen every aspect of it. So, it, I mean, it's really interesting to me also. So, building on 17 years, clearly this is somebody who has chops, they have experience, they have skills, they have shown that they're able to accomplish things, to build things, to invest themselves. And and create competence and confidence in something and succeed at it, right? So now we're switching to an entirely different, like a new path. And then the question becomes like, how do you how do you step back into those things in a new path? Before we dive in, maybe let's just talk briefly about her sparkotype profile. So she shared that her primary, meaning the strongest impulse for work that makes you come alive, was what we call the sage. And the impulse for the sage is to awaken insight. This is somebody who often spends a lot of time learning, but they're generally learning for the purpose of turning around and sharing what they know in a way that helps other people. It's a service-oriented sparkotype, and that's generally how people are fulfilled. The shadow or the kind of runner-up second strongest impulse is the maker, which I found to be really interesting too. The maker impulse is all about making ideas manifest. You know, you love the process of creation. You like to make things happen. And it's a very generative type of feeling. And when anything gets in your way of doing that, it can also make you feel a little bit dejected or a little bit like, I'm actually, for some reason, I'm not able to do the thing that I feel really compelled to do. And then the anti-spark attack that she shared was the performer. And the impulse for the performer is to animate and energize experiences, interactions, and moments. And that we know, and the research is actually, The most represented anti sparkotype in the data that we see. So that's the basic setup. Sort of like if you just start out with that as an overlay, really for what makes her come alive or what makes Casey come alive, what jumps out at you?
0: What jumps out at me is the fact that she said she doesn't like to be in the spotlight. She loves to be the producer and director behind the scenes. And that is Maker all the way. You know, people oftentimes take Maker really, really literally, where in fact bringing an idea. Manifest bringing it into an event to a production of some sort. I mean, that is, that is maker energy, no question. And so it makes perfect sense to me that she can sort of see that as something she loves to do.
2: A lot of times like the maker impulse can be fiercely involved in creating the container and that satisfies that impulse. And then others may step in and play more of a performer role or the other roles. So that can definitely be a part of it. It's interesting also the sage impulse, hands down, I think we've probably both seen that very often in the coaching profession, we see the advisor show up a lot as the primary impulse. And that's all about guiding others through a process of growth. The Sage Impulse is similar. It's related, but it's different in that it's more about sharing what you know than walking beside someone as they move through a process. And I wonder how that plays into questions that she's asking and what she's looking at building as well and any friction it might cause.
0: Well, one of the things she talked about was how her personal network knows her for expertise and she has a certain reputation in that group. And I think she takes a lot of pride in the things she knows and the things she's able to do and the things that she's known for. So that for me is very aligned with that sage type.
2: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. Let's talk about the performer as a road, because there are some assumptions that I think are being made here that are common.
0: I was just going to say that she is making a lot of assumptions about what she has to do in order to build a coaching business. And- there are a lot of people who have done exactly what she described with all of the things. I mean, she had a great long list. I didn't even catch all of them, but events and trainings. And- yeah, it was
2: coaching, online classes, courses, all sorts of stuff. Yeah.
0: I know. She went on and on and on. My first reaction is focus is the way, all the way, right? You know, the more things you try and take on, the fewer things you actually get done. But the assumption is that she has to put herself out into the world in a performer kind of way in order to build this business. And in fact, I, have, I know lots of examples examples where that's just not the case, not in that literal way. And so, so yeah, I think she's putting a lot of pressure on herself because of this belief she has about what the only way is to build this kind of a business.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. That's the thing that jumped out at me more than anything else. And maybe because, you know, us both having been through a number of iterations of building companies and businesses and building other people's companies and businesses, and then building our own a number of times over, we've kind of bumped up against assumptions a lot. And just as a bigger principle, you know, I, I'm always asking the question, is it true? And the reason I'm asking that is because I have found myself assuming so many things into reality over the years that become these limiting factors in my ability to do them. And I never revisit them because I just assume it is what it is. Like, that's a fact. If you want X, you have to be or do Y. And then I'm like trying everything but testing that assumption. And it's just not getting me where I want. And then I finally like almost fighting, kicking and screaming. I go back, I'm like, huh, okay, what's the one thing I haven't revisited? And it's like that basic set of assumptions. I'm like, oh- that might be completely untrue. And maybe that's where I need to start. In
0: coaching, we would ask you, what's the story you're telling yourself? And we do, we tell ourselves stories. And we tell ourselves stories sometimes because it's just what we've seen elsewhere. Sometimes because if we create this story as the truth, then not being able to live into that almost gives us an excuse not to be successful when you're going to really get underneath it. But I think in the coaching business is so interesting because it's so individual that there is no one way. And so, you know, more than any other, business I'm aware of, it's possible to build the business aligned with who you are and consistent with what you are good at and what you are comfortable with. And sure, there are things that are unpleasant. I mean, nobody likes to do accounting or not many people anyways. So, you know, there are aspects of running any business that aren't delightful, but the essence of it and the focus of it and where you're putting the lion's share of your energy I think it's entirely possible to line that up more closely with what comes to you naturally. And in fact, I think you build your best business in this space doing exactly that.
2: Yeah. So so the assumption that I think we're talking about here then in this case is the assumption that you have to in some way play the role of the performer in order to achieve any of the things on that list that Casey was talking to us about. And what you're saying here is no. actually like you have seen so many different people be wildly fulfilled and successful in this exact space by, by not doing that, by actually just really understanding who they are. And then centering that
0: one of the most successful coaches i know had been practicing for 10 years making healthy six-figure revenues every year and he didn't have a website i mean let's he wasn't even doing products and you know all the things he didn't even have a website so he just he did great work and he got referrals and he uh, opened himself up to opportunities to whatever do the things that he liked to do but it, it is entirely possible
2: So here's what's going through my head with this also. So remember Casey shared that she, her primary spark type, her her strongest impulse is the sage one, right? To awaken and say, often we relate that to teaching. I wonder if there's an anticipatory thing going on here where maybe she realizes that I don't necessarily have to be that person, that quote performer person for the coaching side of things. But I see myself really being drawn to the bigger stuff, to the, the, teaching side, the, the being the, the presenter side. And, and that in fact would be well aligned with her primary spark type, with the spark type of the sage. And so totally get it. And I wonder if the as- association she's making is as I step forward beyond a one to one practice and I start to stand in, in the role of a presenter, facilitator, teacher, a course leader, like that performer thing does have to be. A part of that way of stepping into the world. And she's almost projecting forward into what she wants to build and seeing how it may become an issue in the not too distant future. What's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I do think there's some assumptions there. But I mean, I was hearing the reluctance around performer in a couple of different realms. So I I got the feeling that she sees the performer thing as being necessary to build the business, to be the ambassador for it, to be the spokesperson for it. And she's not wrong about that. But I think there are a lot of different ways you can teach And, you know, doing online writing, you know, there are lots of ways you can teach where you don't have to be the physical in person center of attention. So I would want her to be thinking about what's what is she really trying to accomplish? And if it really is that sharing of what she knows, then what are the various modalities she might examine where that's available to her without making it so literally about performing in them? big sense.
2: I mean, I, I know some folks who are phenomenal teachers and they do it by writing, yeah. you know, yeah. and they, they express this incredible sage impulse by, by largely focusing on that because they have no real interest on in being on stage. People say, well, how can you have this impulse to be a sage, to awaken insight, to teach and have no like real strong impulse to be on stage or be in a room and be in front of people. It's like, they're, they're not necessarily related. They can be, but they're all sort of different as you use that word modes of expression to actually channel this impulse in a way that feels good and actually makes the difference you want to make.
0: Absolutely. Now, the one thing we haven't really talked about explicitly is she said that her 17 years in corporate were in marketing and that sets her apart from 90%, 95% of the coaches out there. I mean, I came into coaching with a background in marketing and I think heaven every day that that was my starting point in because I understood what a brand is, how to build a business, how to go find a target audience, how to position a message into that audience's interests and that sort of thing. So as a marketer, she has got a huge advantage over most other people trying to build this kind of business.
2: Yeah, no, I'm glad you circled back to that because that jumped out at me also. It's a really big point of differentiation, both in terms of just her, the knowledge and the experience that she can draw on and in terms of building her own business. But I would also imagine in depending on the type of coaching she wants to do and the type of person she wants to work with. It could be a really interesting positioning point. In a very past life, when I was a personal trainer for a hot minute, (laughs) after leaving like a large six-figure career as as a lawyer in a big firm in Midtown, my next move out was in this tiny little personal training studio as a personal trainer, working with people. And most of the clients in that studio were very high level society and finance people. And I was terrified because I was brand new to this. I was learning the world of fitness But what I found really quickly is that because I came out of a world of law, especially it was business oriented law, I could have conversations. I understood the lived experience of so many of my clients and I could have conversations that very few others could have with them. And that became a huge point of differentiation, both in my ability to serve them, but also in the way that I was able to build the business more effectively.
0: Well, and that was exactly my experience in my early days as a coach, when I would get approached by possible clients or by journalists or whoever, I was able to talk about coaching in a clearer way, more uh, sort of customer-oriented, benefit-oriented than most other people who are beginning to do that work. So you're right, that ability to have that kind of conversation is a huge advantage. But the other thing I wanted to just explore a little bit is... Uh, and I hear this again from a lot of coaches that they've got to build beyond the one-to-one. Well, do they really is the question because if you are brilliant as a one-to-one coach, maybe that's a great place to stay. It's an incredibly flexible way of earning a living. You can make really good money doing it. You know, so, you know, you'd have to look at your business model and your pricing and so on, but nobody says you have to do anything other than one-to-one coaching if it isn't really what, what lights you up.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that back also because that was on my mind as well. There's this assumption that, you know, like there's the only legitimate way to do it. And I wonder sometimes whether we make this assumption when we come out of a background of like big business cuz our our comfort zone is like to exist in something big or to create something big and it's almost like if you leave something that is that big or that successful behind it's almost like we're worried about like, we're thinking about the social context and the potential for will other people be accepted if I'm quote, only a coach, or only like have a private practice or like, do I actually want to build something bigger? Not just because I want to build something bigger, but because there's a social context around like what I've left behind in the name of this next thing. So I, I had that same thing when I left the law and I went into the world of fitness, I was terrified. Because I didn't, I was terrified that everybody would judge me. I'm like, oh, he couldn't hack it. He's leaving all of this behind. And it took a while for me to get past that. But I also wonder if there's something else going on, which is that that secondary impulse is the maker and that the desire to actually do not just one thing, but then build this and this and this and this like I'm, is actually sort of like an expression of that impulse.
0: You're absolutely right. And I, and I wasn't taking that into account when I talked about the one on one, because yeah, I can see how that maker impulse would say, Oh, let's build a training course. Let's build a podcast. Let's whatever. And whatever she chooses to build, I would want her building something that that delights her and that satisfies her, not because somebody else said. Because the other thing that goes on in the coaching business at risk of running down a rabbit hole is there's now a whole industry that shames people who aren't making big six-figure money. And that's just not useful because not everybody needs to make that and not everybody is wired to run a business that looks like that. So Again, I want, I want people like Casey to be really doing some reflection and self-examination and saying, what kind of work will really light me up? Like I've never started a podcast because I don't have the follow through. I, like, like I know myself well enough to know that doing something every week, week over week for years and years and years, just, just not in me, you know, and it would be crazy to try. So uh, rather than think of any of the things on her list as a should, to get really deep and say what what is the kind of work how do I want to spend my time and what do I want to make
2: yeah i lo- i love that and she may still end up saying well well i really i really am le- legitimately excited about this and that and that and and then i think the one invitation around that would be something that you said in towards the beginning of our conversation which is yes and Even as a maker, and my primary spark type is a maker, so I I so get this. I walk down the street and I'm like, I could make that. I want to make this. I want to make that. Like all day long, are just like new ideas, like that are popping into my head about what I want to create. And I have also learned that I am wildly less effective and wildly less happy when I'm simultaneously trying to dig ten wells all at the same time. You know, I'll get ten years down the road, and I've got ten half dug wells. So nothing is actually bearing fruit. And just psychologically and emotionally, I'm just, it's not making me feel the way that I hope to feel. So just an invitation for all of our makers out there, as much as we probably all have the impulse to just hit the ground running and say yes to everything. It's not a matter of having to say no, but it really as much as you can sort of channel the impulse into one or two things at a time and really invest your energy in that way, get them to a place where they're you know like self-sustaining enough where you then actually had the legitimate bandwidth to then say, "Okay, I feel like I can I can allocate some energy now to starting to add in this other thing." Without it either destroying me or destroying the thing that, that came before, it's, it tends to be a better way to do things. Um, and and by the way, I'm raising my hand because I don't always do that myself. And when I don't do it, I also suffer. Um, so I, I, I know that pain very well.
0: Well, but the other thing is to be willing to shut things down. If you, get them, if you take them to a point and they're not doing what you thought they might, or you're not enjoying it as much as you hoped you would, be willing to shut it down.
2: Yeah, such an important point as well. Any final thoughts as we wrap up here?
0: You know what? I think she's got a great basis in her community and the startings of her business. And I just, I want her to appreciate that and build from there.
2: Mm, Love that. Thank you as always, Karen, for your insights, your wisdom, your thoughts. Thanks everybody for listening in. Casey, I hope you found value in this. Everybody else. While we tend to talk about one person's situation and their makeup, almost always there's so many ideas that are relevant to so many different people. So I hope you found value in this conversation and we will see you all next time. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkatype for free at sparkatype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.